Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Come with me in your Bibles, uh, 2 Kings chapter 13. We're going to be reading from verse 14. Um, The title of my message tonight is strike the ground, break the curse. Strike the ground, break the curse. Elisha had become sick. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen, which is a Uh, Kind of a weird thing to say to somebody on his deathbed, isn't it? The guy's dying. He says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Thought that would bless you. Does that mean anything to you? It actually does, but we'll keep going. And Elisha says to him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows And then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So the king put his hand on the bow and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And then he said to him, open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot an arrow through the east window. And Elisha says, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria For you must strike. Everyone say must strike. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek until you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So the king took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and he stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. And he said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it, but now you will only strike Syria three times. Then Elisha died, and they buried him, and the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. Verse 21. I know I didn't give it in the notes, but let's just read it anyway. Verse 21. So it was, as they were burying a man, that suddenly they spied a band of raiders, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. When the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. It's a, it's a crazy, it's a sad thing for me that Elisha didn't have anybody to impart the anointing to. Elisha was the prophet because he got the anointing from Elijah. The, 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 anointing, the, the anointing of God isn't limited to men, but it is certainly uh, given to men. It is distributed to men and it flows through men. And what is, what is amazing about this is that Elijah in the Old Testament is the prophet. He represents the church. He represents Awaken in Salt Lake City. He rec- re- that's what he rep- represents. And 
But sadly, the, the church was dying. It was on its deathbed. Elisha was dying. With, he was sick with the illness of which he would die. And these were his last words. And then he dies. And they put his body in a tomb. And then in the spring of that year, several months later, the, the, a guy dies as they're in a raid, gets shot by an arrow or something. And so they roll him into the, into the cave quickly because they want to get away so that more of them don't die. And the Bible says that as his dead corpse rolls down, it rolls down onto now what is just the bones of Elijah, Elisha, the bones, but there's still the, there's still the anointing there. I, I, wanted, I want you to know that the church is meant to carry power. The church is meant to carry power. And, and I honestly believe that this, this verse is in there to tell us that we don't know the name of the, the guy that got the miracle. We don't know the name of the... In fact, all we know is that he wasn't even Jewish. He wasn't even of Israel. He was a Moabite, and he wasn't up to good things. He was raiding people's homes. He was waiting till you went away on vacation, and then he was doing a home alone. Marv, he was doing a home alone, coming, breaking into your house. They were the wet bandits of, of their days. They were coming in. They were raiding people's homes. This wasn't a good man. But he had an encounter with a good God, and the good God prevailed, and what was dead came back to life. I want you to know that the church is meant to be a place of resurrection. It's meant to be a place of power. So real, real quick, I've got, I've got four quick thoughts, and then I'm going to have the powerhouse team come up, and we're going to pray tonight. And I promise you, curses are going to be broken. Things are going to shift tonight in Jesus' name. So, so this, is the, this is a king called Joash. The Syrian army have come in from the north and the Syrian army have invaded the land of Israel and they've begun to block up all their wells and cut off all the supply chains so that they're exper experiencing you know, empty shelves Biden, but back in those days. It's, there's, there's no food, egg prices are through the roof, gas prices are through the roof, everything's through the roof because the Syrians have cut off supplies. The devil does, has been doing it for thousands of years. He knows that whatever you starve dies, whatever you feed lives. So he always tries to starve the church. He tries to starve the house of God. That, that, that's why cancel culture is all about trying to starve God's voice, starve God's word while, while they feed all the perverts and all the reprobates in the world. They have platforms. They have TV. They have media. They have all the things, and they try and starve the church. But the church will not die because the church cannot die because Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When he spoke it, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will endure forever. Because he spoke it as a done deal. The devil can't overcome the word. He tried to overcome the word. He crucified the word. And then they put that word into the ground, but it rose again, conquering death, conquering hell, breaking the curse, rising again on the third day, defeating the devil. The word of God is power. So here is Elisha. Elisha is the prophet. He's the man that God is speaking to the nation through. And Joash is not a good king. He's not a great king. And he comes to Elisha and he says to Elisha, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. If you don't know the story, Elisha said these words to Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 2. When Elijah was being taken up to heaven, Elisha was his servant. Elisha was his servant. And so Elijah was going to be taken up to heaven and the 
sons of the prophets from the school of the prophets came out to Elisha and they're like, hey, don't you know the Lord is going to take your master away from over you today? And he's like, I know, shut up. And so Elijah then says to Elisha, stay here in Gilgal, for I must go on. The Lord has called me on. And he says, as the Lord your God lives, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. God gave me an assignment, and I'm not going to let unsettling words and negative prophecies and whatever may the uncertain future. I'm not, I'm not here to right now try and feather my own bed and make something of myself. I've made a promise. I made a commitment that I would serve you to the day you're taken up and I'm serving you. So he crosses over. They get to Jericho and Elijah, after he does whatever he needed to do in Jericho, says to Elisha, now listen, stay here in Jericho for I must cross over. The Lord has called me. He says, as the Lord your God lives, I ain't leaving you. The sons of the prophets come out again. Don't you know? He's like, shut up. So they cross over. Now they get to the Jordan. Elijah takes off his mantle, rolls it up, and he strikes the Jordan, and the Jordan opens up, and they walk across the Jordan River on dry ground. When they get to the other side, it, it comes back together and keeps flowing. At that particular moment, Elijah turns to Elisha, and he says to Elisha, he says, what shall I do for you? What can I give you before I'm taken up to heaven? And Elisha, the servant, says to Elijah, his master, I want a double portion of the spirit that rests on you. Now, I just have to be really honest right now. I thought that I had some faith. But I... Honestly, I'd be happy for 50% of what Elijah had. The guy called fire down from heaven. He wiped out the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah. I mean, he took care of Jezebel and Ahab. He brought revival to the land. Then he climbs back up onto the mountain. And the same mountain that is scorched by the fire of God, he then brings a drought, a seven-year drought, he brings it to an end so that the whole land is filled with water and the economy is restored. I'd be happy for just half of that kind of power, but not Elisha. Elisha says, I want double what's on you. I want double what's on you. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says Elijah didn't rebuke him. Elijah says to him, man, you have asked for a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you're with me when I am taken up, it'll be so for you. But if not, it won't be. The Bible says no sooner had they gone a few steps further that the heavens opened up and then it was like the clouds began to whirlpool and all of a sudden in the clouds, lights and lightning began to come in the clouds and then the lightning began to turn into what they saw was chariots. Chariots came down and the Bible says and it swooped up Elijah and Elijah all of a sudden is going up through this vortex, through this wormhole straight into glory and Elisha cries out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen and then... Elijah's mantle, the one that he just struck the Jordan with, dropped. And the Bible says Elisha goes and he picks up that mantle. And he walks over to the Jordan River. And the Bible says, and he struck the Jordan River. And out of his mouth came the words, where is the God of Elijah? And as he struck the river, the Bible says the water opened up. God was answering him, I'm here. I'm here and I'm with you. As I was with him, so shall I be with you. Elijah was taken up 
But the power of God remains. Jesus was taken up. But before Jesus was taken up, he said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. Why would we wait in Jerusalem, Jesus? Because you're about to receive power. Because I know I'm going up. I won't need it up there, but you're going to need it down here. So I'm going to drop some power. I'm going to drop some mantle. I'm going to drop some Holy Ghost. I'm going to drop some anointing. You're going to speak in language. You're going to move. I'm telling you what Salt Lake City, what the valley needs, what this region needs, what America needs, what the world needs, isn't more religion. What the world needs is a church that operates in power. Is there some Elishas in the room who are willing to do what it takes to carry some power from heaven? So let me just give you four quick thoughts. The first one is your ask is your faith. Elijah says to him, man, you have asked a hard thing. He didn't rebuke him. He said, you have asked for a hard thing. We know that we're preaching right. I know that I'm rightly dividing the word of God by the the temperature of your faith. The temperature of your faith is, is determined by the barometer of what you're asking for. What you're asking for. I, I look at a, 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 a Pastor Vance and a Pastor Rebecca, extraordinary people, two stunning, beautiful little girls. And I saw them when they came into the house of God, faithful, served, whatever needed doing, they, they did. But, you know, we, we, we live here and may, maybe we should downside, you know. And I'm like, God's hands on you. You've been faithful to his house. God's going to be faithful to your house. And I remember when Vince... One day called me and says, well, you know, there's a house. There's a little bit of a stretch. It's a little bit out of our. And I said, that's the one. That's the one. I, I know that it's God because that they start. Jesus, the number one rebuke of Jesus to the disciples was lift up your eyes. And we, we, we lower our eyes because we, we, we constantly, our ear gates are constantly hearing what isn't possible and did you know there's a recession coming oh it's going to be like the 1930s it's going to be really bad and, and they're saying they're, they're predicting that real estate is going to be I think in a negative way and you know the supply chains and, and, and so we, we lower our thank God for people that sit under a different word because faith cometh by hearing hearing by the word of God so they don't start asking just to just to coexist and asking just to eat by they start asking for the best parts of the land, the best territory. You know your level of faith by your ask. We know that we're preaching the Word of God right when your ask goes through a new level. When you start saying, you know what, I'm done with being barren. I'm done with being single. I'm done with being broke. I'm done with these student loans. I'm done with always missing out. I'm done with just kind of struggling through life. I'm kind of just, you know, I'm, I'm not thriving. I'm just surviving. I'm done with surviving. I want to start breaking through. I want to start seeing the power of God work in my life you've got to ask but that ask only happens in a certain environment sadly people are not graduating from Harvard and Yale with a big ask but thank God there is a place on the planet with the word of life and the word of truth and the word of faith is being preached. So the people begin to say, you know what? I don't have to put up with this terminal illness. I don't have to put up with this doctor's diagnoses. I don't have to put up with this curse of poverty. I don't have to put up with generational welfare or generational alcohol addiction, generational drug addiction and drug dependence. I don't have to put up with it. I can be the cycle breaker. I can be the curse breaking generation. If you don't get faith from the house of God, where can you get it? 
We, we have to be. We have no other option but to give you a faith injection every week. We fail God. Jesus said, when I return, what did he say, Leanne? When I return, will I really find? He didn't say, will I really find compassion? It's important. He didn't say, will I really find tolerance? He didn't say, will I really find love? Jesus, of all the things, he says, huh. He says, when I return, this is to the disciples, when I return, will I really find faith in the earth? Of all the things to, to put into the disciples' head, they knew they had to go out and preach faith. How do you preach faith? You preach the Word of God, because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Jesus knew, just like it is in the beginning in Genesis 3, the Word of God is under attack. Where there's no word, there's no faith. Matthew 17, Jesus comes down from the mountain. A boy is demonized, throws him into the fire and the water. The father brings his boy to Jesus' disciples. They couldn't cast the demon out. Seven chapters earlier, they had authority to cast out demons. Six chapters earlier, they came back rejoicing that even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus had to say to them, listen, that's awesome, but don't rejoice that demons submit. Rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. But six chapters later, they lost power. And they're like, Jesus, we, how come we can't cast it out? And Jesus says, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the child to me. And the Bible says, as the child was coming, the demon recognized that the authority and the power that it was about to walk into an experience and threw him on the ground and began convulsing him. And Jesus says to the papa, he says, how long has this been happening since he was a kid? And Jesus says, right, and he break, and, he come, and instantly the boy is healed. Oh, faithless and perverse generation. The two sides of the same coin. When you see a rise in perversion, you see a drop in faith. It's faithless and perverse generation. The devil is trying to destroy faith, destroy church, destroy the word of God while he peddles all kinds of perversion on our children. But we're here to tell the devil, you ain't teaching any more of this garbage in our schools. It's not welcome in our colleges and in our institutions. It's not welcome... We're raising up people that are, come on, somebody, say amen. All right, number two, number two. He then says to the king, I want you to take a bow and some arrows. I want you to take a bow and some arrows. See, when the king says to him, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen, he's saying, I know that, that your master, when he was taken away, left some power. We need power. We are overwhelmed. The odds are overwhelming. Every day, the numbers grow. Unless God moves, we are done for. Do you have one more trick in your bag? Is there one more miracle in the barrel? And Elisha on his deathbed, heaving, says, take a bow and some arrows. And so the king gets a bow and he gets some arrows. Take a bow and some arrows. Elisha doesn't say, hey, God's got this. God's on the throne. He's in control. Kesarasara, whatever will be, whatever, whatever the Lord's will is. He doesn't say that. He does, also doesn't say, hey, this is on you. God's going God's to whoop you and teach you a lesson. 
you did this. He doesn't say that either. He says, I want you to take a bow and some arrows. And the king takes the bow and he brings it to Elisha. And Elisha says, put your hand on the bow. And he puts his hand on the bow. Then Elisha puts his hands on the king's hands to say, heaven is blessing this warfare, this resistance. Can I just tell you, we are here to oppose the devil. We are here to resist evil. We are here to overthrow principalities and powers and demonic spirits. We are here to drive out darkness and bring in light. It requires spiritual warfare. It requires spiritual warfare. Everything in your life, all advancement in your life happens through spiritual warfare. Can I just say this to you? The armor of God is not a fashion statement. It's not a fashion accessory. When Paul writes, you know, put on the whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, taking up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. It's not a fashion thing. Fashion. Fashion. Fashion is danger. Fashion. You think you know fashion. Fashion's a stranger. It's not. It's not. It's not, what, what, what are you wearing that, what are you wearing that for? I don't know, fashion. What's with the breastplate of writing? Fashion. It's not about fashion. When Paul is saying, put on the helmet, the breastplate, belt, feet, shield, sword, it's because you're in a war. You're in a war. You and I are in warfare. And if you notice something about the armor of God, there's no back. If you look at the back, it just says Calvin Klein. That's all it says. There's no back on the armor of God. Do you know why? Because you're never meant to be running from the battle. You're always meant to be engaging in the battle. I made a decision when I got saved and learned about spiritual warfare. When I learn about spiritual warfare, that I, I can take ground off the devil and I'm going to put with, I don't go to, oh, I hope the devil doesn't attack me today. Have you ever met those Christians, you know, how you doing? No, I'm not good. What do you mean, not good? The devil's attacking me. Oh, no, the devil's attacking you. You're like, man, I really hope the devil doesn't kind of see me or know where I am so he doesn't attack I don't know what Jesus says, I will build my church. Same verse. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Same verse. So he knows that to build his church, he's got to kick in the gates of hell. Satan can say, well, this is, this is the line. This is the territory. See this territory? It belongs to... Oh, you just, oh, all right, all right, I'll, I'll move it. All right, I'll, 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 give you the, I'll give you that, but I'm going to put, this is, not, this, this is the line this far and no more. Okay, the, all this terror. Oh, you did it. Oh, you did, all right, well, okay, well, I'll move it. To, we're, here to, we're here to kick in the gates of freaking hell, take ground from the enemy. Listen, there are only two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness. Kingdom of righteousness, kingdom of evil. We are here to advance the kingdom of God. To do that, the devil's got to yield ground. He's got to lose ground. We don't let the devil determine how we live, how we exist. We ain't coexisting with him. We're driving him out of Salt Lake City. Let him move into another city. Let him go to another state. He's not welcome in this state. 
It requires spiritual warfare. Oh, geez, I've got too much to say, but not enough time. All right. <laughs> Golly gee. All right. When, 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 remember when Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments? He goes up to get the Ten Commandments, and it's so funny. So funny, because the people come to Aaron saying, hey, he's been gone over a month. And Aaron's like, who, who, who are you talking about? Moses, you know, the guy, that, the guy that delivered us from Egypt, got us out of 400 years of slavery, brought us out into the wilderness, opened the Red Sea, brought manna from heaven, water out of a rock. That guy, we don't know what's happened. Can you make us some gods and we can choose another leader? Just like in great ingrat- gratefulness. Aaron, the knucklehead, says, oh, you're looking for another? Is this an interview? <laughs> Bring me your gold rings and watch what I can do with it. that brought you out of Egypt. Behold, the golden calf. (laughs) Moses and Aaron, God has to interrupt Moses. He's in the middle of a conversation. God says, hang on, stop, stop, stop. He says, Aaron, your brother, the knucklehead. I told you not to, but anyway, it's another story. He was established in compromise, so he's going to operate in it. How you get it is how, anyway. And so he says to him, go back down because the people are in idolatry. Poor old Josh, Joshua's had to wait halfway. He wasn't let up into the presence of God. So Moses picks him up on the way and Joshua's like, Moses, Moses, oh man, I'm so glad you're here, so glad you're here. Can you hear, can you hear that? There's a sound of war in the camp. There's a sound of war in the camp. Moses is discerning. Moses says, Joshua, this is not the shout of victory, nor is it the weeping of defeat that we hear. This is something else. It's not the sound of war. When they got down there, the people had kind of decided that they would dance around the golden calf. However, they, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't there. So. But apparently it was a little hot, so they were taking off their clothes and it was, and the Bible says that Moses smashes the Ten Commandments. There wasn't a sound of war. See, that the question isn't, are you engaging in spiritual warfare? The question is, what are you engaging in spiritual warfare? What are you fighting? What are you battling? What are you wrestling? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. In this life, this side of eternity, you should always be fighting. You should always be wrestling. You should always be at warfare against something, against injustice. Sometimes it's personal. And sometimes there's the shout of victory, but other times there's the weep of defeat. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, though the righteous man falls seven times, seven times he rises again, dusts himself off, and then brings it again. All warfare is required for advancement. Number three, 
Elisha tells the king, open the east window. The king has a bow and an arrow. And he's like, sorry, which window? And he says, the east window. (laughs) You you, you mean the north window? Because the enemy's in the north. The Syrians are in the north. I should open the north window and and maybe I'll shoot at least one of them. And Elisha doesn't tell him to open the north window. He said, I want you to open the east window. And now what? Shoot. There's no one out there. Shoot. All right. The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and deliverance from Syria. Why the east window? Why not the north? Because the east window is where the sun rises. If you spend all your time looking at the enemy, looking at the devil, what the devil's doing, focusing on how wicked the wicked are and all that kind of stuff, it'll dishearten you. The church, God is a prophetic God with a prophetic people. He says, I want you to open the east window and I want you to begin to shoot your arrows, begin to declare my promises into a new day. My father, my father came from generational abuse and generational alcoholism and generational relational dysfunction. His father before him, when it got to me, God said to me, I want you to instead open the east window and begin to see a future where the sun is rising. Malachi 4 verse 2 talks about the sun, S-U-N, not S-O-N, the S-U-N, the sun of righteousness, rising with healing in its wings. God says to me, I want you to begin to see a brand new day. Do you have the courage? Do you have the faith? Draw from all the kernels of faith that you got in the house of God. And can you begin to see a future where your children are blessed your children are serving God and the generational curses and the generational dysfunctions and the generational sin and iniquity that's passed down the generations isn't with you anymore instead people can't even believe you're from the same fold they can't believe you're from the same lineage they can't believe you're from the same family because your life looks so different because we made a decision we're shooting our arrows out the east window we're going to open the east window over Salt Lake. You should have an east window experience. Open up and say, man, if God is on the throne and all things are possible and Jesus Christ died to make me a brand new creation, then what could my life look like? Begin to shoot the arrows. Every arrow is a prophetic word. Every arrow is a promise of God. And then, the, then Elisha says to the king after he shoots the arrow, he says, now take, take the arrows and strike the ground. And the king goes tap, tap, tap around and quits. And Elisha dies angry. His last words were, you should have struck five or six, then you would have defeated them. But now you'll only strike them three times. Flatlines. His last words. Slout's words was a rebuke. There's a lesson there. We can't get apathetic. We can't get complacent. The king just tapped three times. In baseball, three strikes and you're out. Three three should just be enough, shouldn't it? I've been at every every Sunday. 
It's my fifth immersion. <laughs> you can do the right thing. The devil, devil knows if he can't stop you from going to church, he can steal your passion. He can steal your fire. Church, I know, is going to be here on Sunday. But God is hoping I'll bring some fire. God is hoping I'll bring some worship. God is hoping I'll bring some praise. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not waiting for awesome Kelsey and the team to bring. I'm going to bring my own praise. I'm going to bring my own worship. I'm going to bring my own fire. I'm going to bring my own faith. Don't let the devil steal your faith. See, God, all the miracles God did, he did through people who opened the east window. His sister Abraham in Genesis 13, 14 and 15, when Abraham had separated from Lot, I'm not sure if you remember that story, but remember Abraham takes his nephew Lot, a little bit of a compromise. God said, get away from your family, but he takes Lot with him because his name means exalted father. And it's embarrassing when you don't have any kids to introduce yourself. Hi, my name's exalted father. Exalted father, where are your kids? He doesn't, so he's trying to pass off Lot as one of his. But the Bible says that Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen were at strife because the land wasn't big enough to sustain both of them. So Abraham, being the patriarch and being so benevolent, says to Lot, listen, you choose. The whole land is before us. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. You choose. And the Bible says when Lot looked and he saw the well-watered plains of the Jordan, he chose for himself and pitched his tent towards Sodom. Oh, well done, Einstein. How'd that work out for you? But he left Abraham. Abraham dwelt in the deserts of Shechem. Lot, well-watered plains of the Jordan, pitched his tent towards Sodom. Abraham dwelt in the deserts of Shechem and built an altar to the Lord you're better off in a desert where there's an altar to God than in the well-watered plains and the rhythmic pulsing, pulsing beats of Sodom calling you in so now when they separated God comes to Abraham and he says Abraham lift up your eyes and look northward southward eastward west. All the land that you see, I'm giving to you. He doesn't have to look back. He doesn't have to look at, man, I should have chosen the well-watered. Here I am in the dead. God, God says to him, son, I'm an east window God. I want you to look because I'm giving this to you and to your generations. They shall possess this territory. It was just four generations later, Abraham's grandson, who'd be betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold, auctioneered off as a slave in Egypt. And then when the slave owner's wife tries to seduce him and he refuses to, she calls it rape and he gets convicted guilty of a crime he didn't commit and ends up in a prison. He's rotting in a prison. His daddy has been told, your son was torn apart by wild bees. Daddy's not looking for him. There's no rescue party. There's no search party. This is a, a Jewish kid in an Egyptian prison who has now got a, a, 
a felony conviction for attempted rape. Nobody's coming for him. But the Bible says Joseph, while he was in the prison, the Lord was with him and he was interpreting dreams. He was interpreting dreams because he had dreams and he wouldn't let go of his dreams. In the middle of his dungeon, in the middle of his darkness, in the middle of his betrayal, he had an east window. He wasn't looking at his circumstances, the betrayal. He wasn't looking at, at the wrongful conviction. He was looking at an east window knowing that God's promises that his arrows fly out of an east window. If God really is the God through whom all things are possible, what are you believing? Your future doesn't have and look anything like your past. My future right now looks nothing like the generational past. It looks so different because of the east window God that you and I serve. I don't have time to go into Joshua and Jericho. I don't have time to go into David and Goliath. But I'm telling you right now... The man of God dies telling the king to take the arrows and strike the ground. Did you know God told Moses to strike the rock and water flowed out of the rock? Elijah struck the Jordan and it opened up. But here he says to... He says to the, the king, he says, take the arrows and strike the ground. You must strike until you have defeated the Syrians at Aphek. And he strikes three times and thinks that's enough. It wasn't enough because the water from a rock was obedience and obedience. A flow comes Faith with the anointing. Where is the God of Elijah? Immediately opens. But the the ground is different to the rock and the ground is different to the river. Jesus is a rock and God is a river. But the ground is in the Bible. It's introduced to us when Adam sinned. God didn't curse Adam. He couldn't curse Adam because in Genesis 1.28, God blessed Adam and said, be fruitful, multiply. So in Genesis 3.17, the Bible says, Adam, because you have done this, cursed be the ground for your sake. Out of the sweat of your brow, out of toil, she will yield to you her increase. But even then, thorns, thistles, and briars will come up out of the ground that will pierce you and cause you to believe. It's a prophetic picture of Jesus, Yeshua, who would come with the sweat of his brow, with toil, who would be pierced by the thorns on his head and nails in his wrist on a piece of wood to redeem mankind. The ground is cursed, and the ground you can't just strike once. You can't just strike twice. You can't just strike three. you got to strike until. you got to strike until. Well, pastor, you know what? We started tithing. Well, who told you to stop? Well, Pastor, you know, we went on a date night. You said that how you got her is how you keep her and you date Leanne. Well, we went on three date nights and nothing. Well, who said stop? Continue to strike. Continue to date. Continue to tithe. Continue to serve. Continue to believe. Continue to step out. Continue to. Well, you don't understand. Uh, This is my third time going back to rehab. Well, you know what? Go a fourth time. Go a fourth time. And if that does, go a fifth time. You strike until. You strike until. Don't let the devil win. You strike until. You strike until. You strike until. Come on, give God a praise. To break the curse, you've got to strike until, you've got to strike until, you've got to strike until. We made a decision that we're going to strike until. And you know what you strike with? You strike with the promises of God. That's what the arrows were. The arrows are the prophetic promises of God. See, it was the Word of God, like Pastor Mike said, that became flesh. But it was that Word that was crucified and then put into the ground. When the Word was put into the ground, who won? The ground or the Word? The Word... He crucified it. 
A Roman soldier put his spear through the side, dead. They bring back word to Pilate. Jesus is dead. Dead already? Wow, okay. Make sure he's, he's dead. Put him in a tomb, roll a stone, and put soldiers there to guard it. They had more faith than most Christians that he'd get up out of the tomb. Who guards a dead corpse? But the Bible says that on the third day, death and the cursed ground didn't prevail. Yeshua, son of the Most High, Yeshua ben Elohim rose again on the third day. Conquering death, conquering hell, possessing the keys of hell and the keys of death and appearing to his disciples. I want you to know the word of God always overcomes the curse. You strike until they told us. The devil tried to tell me many years ago, the price you got to pay for winning San Diego is the death of your firstborn. My eldest son struggled for eight years with a heroin addiction. Many times it tried to take him out. But his mother and I would get arrows and we would strike the ground. We would strike the ground. People say, man, are you still striking? How many times has he been in rehab now? Well, why would you keep striking? It obviously isn't working. You don't understand something about God. When it comes to, to striking a rock, you only need to strike once. When it comes to a river, you need, but not no, when it comes to a curse. With generational curses, you got to strike until. 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 The curse is broken. I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but there's some people here. There's some generational junk and there's some generational baggage and you need to strike until. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. Lift your hands high to heaven. Strike the ground, break the curse. Strike the ground, break the curse. I want you to know this. That the Word of God, Elisha, prophesies over the arrow and he says, take the arrows. These are prophetic words from God. These are promises from God. Every prophetic word and every promise from God has the power to break the curse if you just strike the ground. Don't become apathetic. You know, the Bible says this. It says, if, if we don't lose heart in doing good. In fact, it says, don't grow weary in doing good. For in due season you shall reap your harvest if you don't lose heart. The king, after three, lost heart. Pastor, you don't understand. The doctor's dying and it's getting worse. You don't understand. They, 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 they came and they repossessed the cars and next week they're taking it. Keep striking the ground. Keep striking the ground. Keep striking the ground. Keep taking the arrows. Keep taking the promises of God. You don't understand. My, 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 my kid just sent a letter saying... He's in this kind of relationship and it's so far from God. Keep striking the ground. Keep reminding God. Keep, keep declaring to the devil. Devil, I'm telling you right now, all my children shall be taught of the Lord. The Bible says, blessed is the man that has many children. It's like his quiver is full of them. He shall be blessed. His children shall be blessed after him. Blessed is the man who walks in, in righteousness. His children will be blessed after him. Blessed is the man who walks in his integrity. His children will be blessed after him. Begin to take the arrows and begin to strike. 
strike the ground. Begin to strike the ground. Don't let the devil tell you what you can and can't have. Don't let the devil rob you of life, rob you of health, rob you of finances, rob you of territory, rob you of relational excellence. Strike the ground. Break the curse. Lift your hands high to heaven. Say these words. Say, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you tonight that every curse the enemy has tried to array against me tonight I'm going to break in Jesus name your servant will strike the ground until I will strike the ground until and just lift your hands up Father I thank you for these beautiful people these beautiful people my beautiful bride a few years ago had to say you know what For 28 years, 